Gracious God, we see as through a glass darkly through a mirror dimly. We cannot fully comprehend the truth, nor can we fully see you. We pray that through the reading of your word, that our eyes might be open to catch a glimpse of your glory and your freedom, your freedom that makes us free and brings us life. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are, week three of our Hot Topics sermon series. This week's topic, God and Suffering. It's a worthwhile topic for a few reasons, but the most significant reason in my mind is that it's an obstacle to faith. If there's an all-loving, all-good God, goes the question, if that's the case, why is human life so filled with pain and suffering? Because if God is good, why would God allow such terrible things to happen? It's a worthwhile question to hold because it's one of the biggest stumbling blocks to faith and belief. I'm going to start this sermon, though, by saying that there's no easy answer to the question. There's no easy answer to the question, why suffering? I'm just going to put that out there, first thing. There's no satisfying explanation, and that might, you know, sound like a cop-out, but let me explain. First, there's no easy answer because we can't say that suffering is always inherently bad or evil. The great Canadian theologian Douglas John Hall points out that without suffering, without the capacity to feel pain, we wouldn't know how to take our hand out of a fire to prevent from being burned. <laughs> Sorry, baby just plonked. Uh, anyway. Uh, without loneliness, we can't understand the joy of friendship. Without shame, we wouldn't understand if we wronged someone or not. Without struggle, we wouldn't be able to strive for achievement. And perhaps most significant of all, most important of all, without suffering, we couldn't love. We couldn't know what love is because love requires vulnerability. To love someone means that there's always the possibility, maybe even the inevitability, that they could hurt us or we could lose them. But without that possibility and without that feeling, we wouldn't know what love is in the first place. We wouldn't feel sadness. So in some sense, suffering is built into reality, into existence itself. We can say that it's part of God's creation design. Suffering can bring us closer to each other and to God. And without it, we wouldn't be human. There's no easy answer because we can't say all suffering is bad or wrong. But here's the second point. 
There's no easy answer because we also can't say that suffering is all good either. In fact, it gets us into trouble when we say that. Now, often well-meaning Christians try to cope with suffering by attributing it to God. We'll say that it's part of God's plan. Something like, the Lord gave you that burden so you would learn to love him. Or God even, I've even heard someone say, God gave you cancer so you would realize what's really important in life. Or the ever-present, everything happens for a reason. Usually when we say stuff like this, our intentions are good. We have a desire to ease each other's suffering. It comes from a good place to console, to make it bearable. But as good as our intentions may be, they can mistakenly play into an argument against God. It's one thing to speak of a single person's misfortune or suffering, but if everything, if everything is part of God's plan, does that mean the Nazi Holocaust the death of six million Jews is part of God's plan? What about the scourge of AIDS, earthquakes, the suffering of children? We can't say that suffering is inherently bad, but we can't say that all suffering is good either. Because some suffering is simply evil, not good, not intended by God. But in our effort to get God off the hook, sometimes we get God into a bind because if God's not only responsible for the good stuff, it also makes God the author of pain and evil in our world for some hidden or arbitrary purpose. So there's no easy answer to the question. We can't say suffering is all bad or suffering is all good. In fact, we don't really know ultimately which suffering is good and which suffering is bad. Not ultimately. Like I said, it sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but it's simply an acknowledgement of something fundamental about being human. As the Apostle Paul says, we see as through a glass darkly. That is to say, as human beings, we swim in the water of our own history. We aren't able to step outside of our lives and, you know, look down and get a bird's-eye view on all history and all of reality. We can't even be seem to be capable of self-reflection most of the time, let alone reflection, reflective on everything everywhere. The truth is real, but we're only able to get a partial glimpse of it. It seems that the reason and existence of suffering is one of those things. Suffering is, in the end, ultimately a mystery to us. One that Christians and non-Christians alike must simply live with. Suffering is a mystery. There's no easy, definitive answer. It doesn't mean that we can't say anything, though. The word mystery coming from the Greek mysterion means something like scratching the surface of something. There's something real there, but we can only scratch the surface. There's a depth of, to things that we can't seem to entirely get at, too. There may not be a clear answer, but we can get a glimpse. We can get a taste. We can touch the truth. 
I'm reminded of something the novelist and Presbyterian minister Frederick Buechner once wrote in his book, Telling the Truth, the Gospel as Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale. In it, Buechner admits that there isn't always a clear answer to the deeper, deeper questions and struggles of faith. Suffering is one of them. In the absence of clear answers and explanations, Buechner says that God himself does not give answers. He gives himself. God doesn't give answers. God gives God's self to us. Christianity, first and foremost, bears witness to a God who is real and active in the world, who doesn't exist somewhere out there in abstraction or mathematics for the purposes of logical contemplation, although that can be fun too. But it's a God who is here. Emmanuel, God with us, down in the dirt and the mess of human life, even in our suffering. God, as witnessed to by the Christian tradition, offers us that mysterion, that glimpse, that scratch of the surface of the deeper reality. We haven't been given an airtight answer, but we've been given a revelation, a vision that puts us face to face with God, if even for a moment. And our passage from the second, from Second Corinthians provides us with a wonderful example of this. Not information about God, but a witness to who God is and what God is up to in the world. This is what we can say when it comes to suffering. First, when it comes to suffering, we can speak of who God is. Our scripture passage begins with this poetic blessing of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all consolation. This isn't just any God we're talking about. But Christians believe that God is most fully revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That means that Jesus is what God is like. Jesus is what God is like. And in Jesus' own life, God is shown to be the Father of all mercies and the Father of all consolation. In Jesus, we see a God of infinite compassion, infinite patience, infinite love that goes to death and back for us. It sort of flips that old phrase. It says, like son, like father. Not like father, like son, but like son, like father. When it comes to suffering, we can say, therefore, that God is not hostile to us. Not vengeful, not vindictive, or sadistic. God does not will our destruction, and God is not the source of that mystery of evil in our lives and our world. God's only desire for us is healing and wholeness, mercy and consolation, transformation and newness. That's point one. Second, because of who we believe God is, we can say that we believe what this God is up to in our lives and our world. God is revealed in Jesus as the Father of mercies and God of all consolation, says our passage. And therefore, 
God is the one who consoles us in all our afflictions. God consoles. I remember somebody saying once that Jesus' crucifixion puts to death the notion that only good things happen to good people. Or bad things happen to bad people. Suffering is unavoidable. On the cross, Jesus doesn't avoid suffering. Jesus embraces it head on. And in doing so, we see God embrace the suffering and sin of the world. God doesn't ensure that suffering doesn't happen to us, but instead God takes on our suffering. God brings comfort. God brings strength. God brings courage in and through our sufferings with the promise that one day they will be erased forever. Notice too here that it says that God consoles us in all of our afflictions. That God doesn't discriminate between the afflictions that we bring on ourselves or the ones that come to us beyond our control or our circumstance. God isn't a told-you-so kind of God. Not a God that leaves sinners to their own devices, but God, as Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. God does not inflict suffering, but God enters into it. If God is like Jesus, God gives herself to us in consoling, forgiving, unconditional, transformational love. That's point two. Point two. Okay. Now the third and final point. Because of who we believe God is, we can say what God's up to in the world, and then we can say why God does it in the first place. What God's goal is for our lives and creation. This is the subject of the rest of the passage. So that, Paul says, so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction, with the consolation which we ourselves are consoled by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through Christ. We are given consolation, we are given healing, not just for ourselves, it's not a gift for us to hoard as individuals, But instead, we are consoled in order to be transformed. We are consoled that we might share in the good news and join God in consoling others. A phrase that I'm quite fond of is that God's grace comes to us on the way to somebody else. In the same way God in Christ takes on our sufferings, we're to take on the sufferings of others. God doesn't cause our sufferings, but God can use even our sufferings and our brokenness to bring blessing to a hurting world. And you know what? Maybe that's actually the scary part. That's the unlikable part. Because finding an answer to a question would actually be less costly than obeying Jesus who says, take up your cross and follow me. A simple answer to a question would be easier than dying to ourselves 
and joining God and getting our hands dirty for the love of neighbor and God's good world. Even if suffering itself doesn't have meaning, our suffering can be given meaning when it's taken up into God's life, God's story, and God's work of redemption. And that's God's ultimate goal. God's end game, a new heaven and a new earth. That's the third and final point. There's no easy answer, as I said, to the problem of suffering. I mean, there's no easy answer or answer that we could get to in one sermon, at least, considering the fact that thousands of years of contemplation have gone into the question. But the truth is, in the end, it's a mystery we can't fully understand and we probably never will until we see God one day face to face. And that can be tough for us rational 21st century scientific North American people to handle. Faith has always been some sort of a struggle. It's what Kierkegaard called a leap of faith, a step out into the unknown in trust. Because when we do, we're given something so much more important, something so much more beautiful, so much more challenging than a simple answer. As Beekner says, God doesn't give us answers. God gives us himself. What we've been given by our ancient tradition, what the wisdom of the elders is, is the gift of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In his face, we see a universe where love burns bright at the center and will never go out, a love that does not wish our destruction, but Emmanuel, God with us, one who comes to us where we are in our suffering and need and helps us to bear it and to transform us into Christ's image as bearers of mercy and consolation ourselves. Until every wound is mended, until every injustice righted and every tear wiped away. It's no airtight answer and you're like, well, you're the pastor, you're supposed to have answers. Which is probably true. But it's a different kind of answer. In the end, God herself is better than an answer for those who choose to take that leap of faith, to reach out and to trust. Amen.